All right. Well, that actually worked. Normally when I do things like that, people totally ignore me and keep talking, but you guys were actually really good. For those who don't know me, which is probably most of you, I'm Mike Masnick. Uh, I run a blog called TechDirt, um, which talks a lot about these kinds of issues. And so they felt that it would be nice to have a moderator to keep things moderate. So I will very, very briefly let each of the panelists introduce themselves, and I'm going to force you to keep it brief or I'm going to moderate. So we'll start with uh, right here on my left, uh, John Perry Barlow. I'm John Perry Barlow. Gee, I, I co-founded the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, I used to be the, the junior varsity lyricist for the Grateful Dead, uh, working with my, my uh, official best friend, Bob Weir, who, who I'm delighted to see here today, who's a sweet guy. And a, an unusual musician. And, um, and I've been writing and thinking and arguing with people for about 20 years over uh, the future of copyright and digital media and the best ways to monetize the work that we do with our minds and our hearts in, in creation and uh, whether or not it makes sense to try to own those works and whether they might be monetized in a better, more productive way. So. I'm still heavily involved with the EFF. I've been very involved with uh, the fight against SOPA and PIPA and ACTA and all the other acronyms that seem to be issuing out of the, out of the bat cave of Hollywood at a regular rate these days. And we can talk about that or anything else you like. All right. Uh, Eric Martin. Hi. Uh, I'm Eric Martin. I'm the general manager of Reddit. Uh, been with Reddit for about uh, four years now. Uh, before I joined Reddit, I was actually working in the uh, film and music industry for mostly independent labels and studios. Great. Josh? And I'm Josh Mendelson. My day job is at a, as a uh, partner at Hattery. We're a seed stage investment firm. But coming out of some of that work, I've uh, had the privilege of being part of a group coming together called Engine Advocacy, which is a loose coalition of startups and, and investors and others in the startup community that are focused on issues in Washington and state capitals and even in, here in San Francisco. Great. So there's obviously there's a lot of different things that we can talk about just because uh, a lot of this has become more and more important. I think from the entertainment industry, certainly a role in Washington has been kind of a, a big and important thing for a while. For the most part, the technology side of the world has mostly tried to ignore Washington, which doesn't necessarily mean that Washington ignores it. So I, I just wanted to ask, you know, your general sense in terms of what is Washington's role these days? Is it expanding? You know, what's, where, where do you view the D.C. Uh, world? You know, we used to find it, uh, when, when EFF first started, uh, we had our office in D.C., and we felt like that was where the power was, and and that was where the negotiation of, of new power relationships was going to take place as the Internet became a, a social, political, and economic force. And we hadn't been there very long before we realized that they were actually dynamically clue-impaired. Uh, they were anti-clueful on purpose. And they wanted to stay that way, and, and they've actually done a better job than I would have thought possible. <laughs> uh, it's like, I, I, I don't, I guess it's sort of, once you get your box in a certain kind of religion, you can go on believing things forever. Uh, but we, we moved to San Francisco, and, and we felt for a long time uh, sublime in our arrogant willingness to ignore them. Meanwhile, the entertainment industry, the content industry, which is looking at the collapse of their business based on the fact that it no longer has any good reason to exist, was very, very proactive in spending huge amounts of money, not just on lobbying and campaign donations, but in keeping practically every member of Congress continuously surrounded by a group of people that would be beating one drum and one drum only. And they didn't, it was like what was going on on the internet was, was somehow invisible to them. And they started passing increasingly draconian legislation, starting with the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and lately, SOPA and PIPA, which I will describe to you if you don't know about it, but you seem like you're young enough and wired enough that you probably do, unlike many members of Congress. 
and, uh, and also ACTA, which is an anti-counterfeiting trade agreement that has been signed by a great many countries that didn't even know what it was. But all of these things would make it possible for any content provider, and I, I, I must say I don't even like the word content, which I never heard before the containers started to go away. And it generally refers to, to the noun of, of something that is inherently a verb. Uh, expression, to me, is a relationship between people. Music is something that happens in the space between people. It is not a noun, and it is not something that you can easily put in a container. Uh, and the containers that it used to be put in are, are going away, if they haven't already gone. But the content industry got these legislations, uh, these, these various bills proposed that would make it possible for anybody without any due process whatsoever to complain repeatedly about copyrighted material being on, on any system anywhere in the world. And uh, after a couple of complaints, it was possible to simply remove that system from the DNS tables so it would cease to exist. And, you know, even without having had the enabling legislation, Back in November, the Department of Homeland Security erased from, uh, from the tables 71 different sites worldwide. And I recently had an opportunity to ask the deputy director of, of the Department of Homeland Security on what authority she had done this, and, and uh, she refused to answer my question. <laughs> she said that it, it was a, a legal case that was still pending, and she couldn't discuss it in any way. So... You know, that's kind of what we're up against. But, you know, the fortunate thing is that thanks, in large part, I, I would say, to Reddit and, and the Redditors and, the, and the, the many people in that environment and, and also my own organization and Wikipedia and Google coming together in a way that was, frankly, shocking to the entertainment industry. I mean, they had no idea. Neither did, neither did Congress. And my old friend Pat Leahy, the day after Wikipedia went blank, finally called me up to talk about this. <laughs> and and he, he, he said, well, what, 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 what is wrong? What do you people want? And I said, you know, we're so far gone that I, we can't even have this conversation any longer. You know, we should have talked about this a long time ago. And, and we probably should have. But in any case, we won that round. We will not win every round coming up. We have lost a lot of rounds with ACTA, which, as I say, has already been signed. We need to, we need to get together and, and create a worldwide opposition to ACTA. But, you know, these are all battles in a war that is ongoing and will continue to go on for a while. There is a huge amount of money at stake here. And there is an economic understanding, which is religious in its nature, about how this work how you make money from this kind of work and who makes it. And there are a lot of large institutions over the course of time that have managed to piratically take the work of musicians away from the musicians and hold it as though they had created it themselves and, and operate on the basis of a model of scarcity in their distribution, as though it were no different from other physical goods. And it is different from other physical goods. In fact, it is precisely the opposite from physical goods, as we, with the Grateful Dead, found, mostly by accident, by giving our work away. And we found that the value of music is based on its familiarity, not its scarcity. The more people know about it, the more people want it. You don't make it valuable by making it scarce, because as most people in this room know, if your music is scarce, it is completely valueless. If nobody knows about it, it doesn't make any difference how good it is. So we have to fight that model. And we have to fight the, the literally billions of dollars that are tied up in maintaining that model. But it is an absolutely critical fight because I see Brewster Kale just came in and sat down, head of the Internet Archive, and, and he and I share a vision, which I want you to share, which is a world where anybody anywhere can find out what they want to know can have their hearts enlivened by the music and the art that is part of the general human patrimony and can do so regardless of their station and regardless of how much money they have. And that the people who create that music and art can get paid on the basis 
of their service to the world and not on their willingness to be enslaved by large industrial institutions. All right, so that's... All right, that was awesome. Um, I didn't know what you wanted. No, that was... Uh, that was perfect. Um, keep doing that. But, but let, me, let me jump on. As you, as you pointed out, Reddit certainly played a large role, very specifically in the, the fight against SOPA and PIPA. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the specifics of, of what happened there, because I think it, the whole... Everything that happened, uh, a lot of people focus very much on just sort of January 18th, but I think really, you know, what happened over the preceding few months leading up to January 18th and then the, the next couple of weeks after that were really something different that took a ton of people by complete surprise. And it doesn't fit into a, a general narrative that the traditional press and, and policy watchers were used to. And I think they've been struggling to kind of understand that. I wanted to see if we could examine that a little bit with, well, with all three of you, because all three of you had different involvement. But we'll start with Eric, just because of you know, Reddit's key role in, in a lot of this. Sure. So, uh, I mean, it, this whole thing really started for us, you know, who, who work at Reddit, with the uh, House markup hearing in December. Um, this was the uh, House Judiciary Committee uh, hearing to mark up the bill. And we all, uh, you know, watched the live stream in the office, and we put a link to the live stream on our site. And watching this really freaked us out uh, because you saw, you know, sort of lawmaker. You know, I'm from North Carolina. There was a, a, a representative Watt from North Carolina got up there and just said, you know, basically I'm ignorant and proud of it. Um, I have no idea what's in these laws or the technology that it's, uh, you know. Uh, uh, affecting, but hey, I'm, I'm you know I'm not going to hear any any amendments or uh, not going to hear any calls for more uh, expert hearings. Um, so that really freaked us out, and I think you know for those of us that are not very familiar with the legislative process, uh, which is most most of us that work at Reddit and probably a lot of the Reddit community as well, that was pretty shocking. Um, that something so important and so central to our business and also uh, how we spend a large part of our day um, could so easily just be, you know, uh, uh, threatened. Um, so after that, we decided we had to do something. And what we, the first thing we did, um, uh, which I think it's, uh, doesn't get mentioned much, is we just created a subreddit uh, or there was a subreddit called SOPA, so sopa.reddit.com, and we, you know, promoted that. And so out of that space, um, you know, sort of organically came things like the movement to boycott GoDaddy. Out of that space came things like, let's try to get uh, um, Congressman uh, Ryan to, uh, you know, confirm his position for or against these bills. You know, and, and a whole bunch of other ideas, some of which never caught on, some of which were horrible and were never heard of, right? And, and a lot of people, you know, especially I remember the Congressman Ryan one where people were, were trying to oppose Congressman Ryan because of this, uh, because of what they thought was his opposition to this, or sorry, his support of these bills. Um, and it turned out he actually didn't support them and confirmed that later, but a lot of people who probably knew a lot more about the legislative process and lobbying and all that kind of stuff and politics were like, that's a really stupid idea. That's totally the wrong choice for you know, Reddit and this community. And you know, they're naive and have no idea what they're doing. Um, and I think that's kind of the point, is that in this sort of grassroots space uh, you know, that happened to be here on Reddit, but in general, I think speaks to you know, kind of internet communities in general, uh, you have people trying all kinds of things. You have people experimenting. Some of the things work, some of them catch on, some of them connect, some of them don't. Um, and I think that's what is a big difference. That's a big change from the, from the traditional models. Um, that you have all these you know, messy, chaotic things. Uh, some of them catch on, some of them don't. And you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, that's sort of the, the, the crowd working at its best. And so uh, all of those things, you know, we take no, no credit for. We had no involvement. Uh, in them, none of them were our ideas. Uh, you know, we just kind of provided the space where people were were sort of free to talk about and organize and try all these different things. And some of them turned out, uh, you know, some of them worked. 
And I think also the, that sort of snowball effect um, is something really important you know, when you're looking at other advocacy issues, when you're looking at you know, how to take lessons from this and apply it to you know, uh, other things that uh, you know, we as, as tech companies or, or as uh, you know, artists and creators and makers, um, you know, it's really about the, the, the story. It's about you know, keeping people who are interested constantly updated. It's about, you know, uh, it's about these, these, these false starts and these things that, that you know, either catch on or don't. Um, because I think most of the people who ended up participating in the boycotts, uh, I mean, in, in the boycotts or in the blackouts, maybe, I don't know, uh, a good chunk of them didn't do it because they were inherently interested in the topic. A lot of them did it because they wanted to be part of something bigger. They wanted to be part of this story. They saw it as a, as a valuable fight. But you know, only, only uh, you know, we can argue about percentages, but uh, a lot of people participated um, you know, because of the story and not necessarily the cause itself. So maybe I'll, I'll jump in there with a little bit more of the TikTok because I think we can learn um, quite a bit from it and, um, and understand it. One of the scariest takeaways from SOPA and PIPA for the tech community in particular was how we didn't catch it until it had gone to markup and gotten very, very far in the legislative process. And frankly, it, it, it's one of the really cool things about having Mike here moderating. I, I think he gets a lot of individual credit for sounding the alarm um, earlier than anyone else and, and being, uh, being the guy who caught it and trying to galvanize a lot, of a, a lot of us to start looking at it and thinking about what was going on first in the House, later in the Senate. Um, but uh, perhaps to the earlier point, a lot of what goes on in the legislative process is about education. Um, traditionally, the education has been done when you go to a fundraiser and you pigeonhole your, your, uh, your member who you're interested in and you start telling them about that particular issue that you're interested in that you want them to sponsor or co-sponsor or oppose um, and fight against. And what we have not done very well uh, as a community in technologies do that education, and not even in a campaign donation way, but simply in marching into the halls of Congress and doing the sit-downs and trying to explain to both members and their staff um, what's good, what's bad, what's important, what's not important, what are the fundamentals of, of the issues, how does this technology particularly work. And uh, SOPA and PIPA were this great galvanizing experience that, um, that enabled a lot of us to show up in the halls of Congress for the first time. So. Engine, for example, was part of coordinating a trip um, where we brought a bunch of entrepreneurs to Washington and had them engage in a series of these meetings with Congress. And they kept explaining, look, we are the job creators, that when you look across uh, the economy over the last many quarters and you're looking at job growth, it is coming from tech startups, um, which is a really, really compelling message. That's not a message that others could bring to the table. That's not a story that could be told. Um, and it turned out to be quite compelling. Uh, as a behind-the-scenes look, here's a really good reason why, if you are willing to no longer be a sponsor or if you're willing to um, rise in opposition, know that there is this community, know that there really is this good narrative that will be behind you. To that end, I, I worry a lot personally about the 18th and want us to be really careful about patting ourselves on the back for what went on. And I think Eric kind of got to this in, in some ways, but it's not a replicable experience. It was a a fun movement for a lot of people. It was a, certainly an important cause and a great cause, but it's not something we can repeat uh, time and time again. And I think that that's something to say really loudly and clearly, and perhaps that's not something that um, from the, we want the traditional opposition to hear, you know, the, the typical content distributors. I'm sorry I'm using that word, John. Um, but, uh, but we know it to be true, and we shouldn't be naive about it. So as we look forward to other campaigns and how we're going to engage on the issues, perhaps proactively, and really teach lawmakers more and make sure we're getting really great legislation um, put forth that is protective of the community, protective of you know, sort of jobs and uh, innovation and, and where we're going as a society, we have to understand what it is we can truly do that bring these issues to light, that help get our users or our employees or um, ourselves involved, get us to the Hill, get us to, um, to engage with members. And that's the discussion that we're just now prepared to have, I think, as a community. Um, how we're going to do that, how we're going to do it in an organized fashion, and how we are going to use the best of what we are, the best of the tools we're good at creating, um, the way we think about issues with really free exchange of information, and actually bring that to bear in influencing the creation of policy. 
So that actually leads really nicely into the, the next question that I wanted to ask, which is, is basically kind of a, a what's next question. You know, I think that um, in part because this was such a, a, a story that it was, didn't fit the, the traditional narrative, a lot of people have been struggling with this. And I know that certainly a lot of people who were involved in the SOPA PIPA fight, you know, came out of it with like, okay, now what, now what, you know, where do we go now? Um, and there, and then on the other side, there were a lot of questions where people said, okay, that was, that was this totally crazy thing that just happened. And all those people are going to go back to wherever the hell it was that they came from. And we're not going to have to worry about them again. And yet, you know, we're seeing with, with the ACTA fight, um, that people are coming out, especially in Europe. Um, and it's, you know, ACTA for those who aren't that familiar with it, I'm not going to go into all the details, but that's been around for four years. Um, and basically was you know, really completed in October, and yet suddenly in January when they realized that everyone in Europe has to actually still sign on to it, suddenly everyone became interested in it, and it was really a reaction to the whole Sopa Pippa fight. It's kind of interesting to see how that one fight has, you know, galvanized people in an entirely different continent um, to, to fight a particular issue. But the question is, you know, where does it go from there, and so what, you know, what is next? Is it, you know, do we take this community and we keep doing stuff, or are there other, other issues, or, you know, where, where do we go from here? I think we've got a couple of things that we need to do, uh, one of which is to be very proactive in, in defining and using uh, a different system for mediating the economy of creation. I mean, uh, uh, that sounds like a long process, but we're already well underway in that. Uh, and it makes it a, a much easier argument to have if you can point to how it works without using the traditional model. Because uh, I, I, the, the view in Congress is that it's all just about property and theft. And it is not just about property and theft. And, and even if it were, it wouldn't necessarily inherently be the property of the people who claim to own it. And they, you know, that is not clearly understood in the political environment, whether it's in Congress or in, or in Geneva or in, or in Maastricht. Uh, we've got to start making that argument and showing that, that it makes sense. But the other thing is that we cannot back off because they're not going to them either. And uh, they're certainly determined to do whatever is necessary to cripple the internet uh, before, they're going to, before they're going to back off. And we just have to, I mean, there's, no, there's another agreement that, that uh, we didn't know about until very recently, which is a, called the Trans-Pacific Agreement. Partnership. We, uh, partner, yeah, Trans-Pacific. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, was, which is a subset of ACTA that has many of the same characteristics uh, just around the Pacific Rim. And that's already, you know, well toward ratification. And we've got to haul that back. So uh, it's just... It'll be steady work for a while, but now that now that people have gotten their, the alert has gone out once. I I don't I agree with you that an event like happened last month is not going to happen very often. Uh, but I think that now that people understand that there are significant threats that are being engaged in to, to the internet, uh, it's going to be easier to get the rabble to rouse. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's just about how do you bring to bear, I would argue, some of the less well-known or less sexy issues. Trade agreements actually seem to me to be one of those. It's, it's yeah. really unsexy. But, uh, but there, one of the, the steps that, that we've been taking um, to Mike's question, uh, so engine advocacy, just for really quick background, is a loose coalition, as I mentioned. Um, but our major focus as this group um, is, is to educate both members of our own community, so that's the tech community, and also policymakers on the issues and the ramifications, as I mentioned. And our hope is that by coming up and, and building really good uh, data sets that help us understand the issues and implications, we can do a better job of telling that story in a way that certainly makes more sense and speaks to the, the strengths of our community, um, but then, then helps uh, us, again, as a community, engage our, our policymakers. And so part of how, at least personally, I've thought about it is how are we going to do this education better? And where does it go from here? And that is about let's not have these surprises anymore. 
um, or at least vastly reduce them. Let's catch it earlier and start talking about it earlier. And as a consequence, be able to do that education of policymakers, even if that means uh, getting there in, in campaigns and elections um, and making sure that, again, these same policymakers understand that we're not going to abandon them on election day if they've been really loyal to us. We want to make sure that our users understand that uh, they have in their districts some really great folks who need their help, who need them to volunteer, uh, who need their votes. And at the same time, if there are members of Congress who just refuse to understand the issues and they're you know, perhaps set in their ways or perhaps set with um, who their interests are, that that's not great either, and that the community is going to understand that and be educated and, um, and, and make sure that whether it's their opposition uh, who gets supported or there's just sort of an abandonment of, of uh, support, that that occurs as well. But principally, again, this is, this is just my personal opinion, but it's, it is about how do we engage policymakers throughout the process and make sure that our users and our community um, continue to, to play a part of that. Just quickly, it, it's, yeah. it's important to note that there will be surprises because the opposition is using stealth legislation all the time. I mean, the Digital Millennium Copyright was passed as a rider on a bill that had nothing to do whatsoever with copyright at 11.30 at night without any, without any particular announcement in, in advance. So you can expect that too. It's, it, we need to have, and fortunately because of things like Reddit, we can have people that are on the ground reporting a lot better than, than we did have. But we need to have better intelligence in DC, that's yeah, for the, sure. There's a, I mean, and similarly, for, for folks who don't know, that the, the EU version of ACTA was originally approved in a um, fisheries and hatcheries meeting. So right. to give you an idea of yeah. you know, totally unrelated things coming together. Um, so that, that sort of explains some of you know, where, where those things are going. I think what's, what's also interesting or what may be interesting to the audience is also sort of how do, how do people as individuals get involved um, in a variety of these things? Is it just, you know, contributing on Reddit? <laughs> or, you know, what else, what else can be done? Because I think, you know, one of the kind of amazing things about what happened with SOPA and PIPA was, was how much, um, you know, people sort of came out of the, the woodwork, but really quickly formed a, a semi-organized group to, to get things done and, and, and act in a, in a coherent manner. Um, for the most part, uh, occasionally going stray. But so what, what can people do sort of going forward to be the feet on the ground, to participate, to speak out, to talk to Congress, to talk to other people? What's, what should be done? Sure. So, uh, you know, and, and, and speaking to also kind of what's next, uh, you know, even in the face of, you know, some really scary stealth uh, legislation and trade agreements and all these sort of dirty tricks um, that I think will absolutely continue, you know, what makes me optimistic is, is some of the, you know, sort of the ripples that have come out of the, the you know, SOPA and PIPA fight. Um, things like, you know, there's now a really great subreddit called Run For It. It's basically helping engineers and, you know, whatever, uh, uh, online uh, uh, geeks run for office. Mostly it's local office, city council, stuff like that, state legislature. But, you know, helping get engineers and, and scientists and people from the tech world involved um, and actually running for office is a great thing. Uh, there's, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you have things like, um, you know, MeshNet, which is, a, a, you know, and the, there's a group on Reddit that there's others online that are trying to organize the, you know, sort of a, a wireless mesh network that, that is not under the same sort of centralized control. Maybe that's, maybe that's a solution down the road. I don't know. Um, there's there's uh, people on Reddit have started a uh, political action committee, which is called Test Pack, Please Ignore. Uh, which, which ju just to give you an idea of like sort of the mindset that, that's one of the most popular posts on Reddit of all time was a post saying test post, please ignore. And so since, you know, you can't tell people on the internet what to do, everyone voted it up and it became one of the most popular things oh, uh, ever. So, I mean, that, 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 it's that same idea of, you know, ignore this pack, you know, so maybe that leads somewhere and that's sort of a, a, a very much sort of democratic pack with, with people voting on what issues they're going to support and things like that. I, I don't know if it'll work. Maybe. But there's all these interesting things that people are trying. And I think th that's the part that makes me optimistic about our time now is that, you know, I think, and I think people who see something online, whether it's the SOPA PIPA fight or whether it's, you know, 
memes being born or whether it's you know stories kind of blowing up if you see something go from zero from nothing to something that's now in the mainstream news or that's now being you know referenced all around in culture that kind of changes your perspective and it changes your perspective of what's possible and so i i hope uh, and i think we're seeing signs that that's encouraging more people to to be involved, more people to kind of put their ideas forward, more people to you know suggest what might seem like crazy things, or or try to build communities, or or build you know sort of mechanisms to deal with these things in the future. You know, I, uh, this is self-serving to some extent, but maybe not. Uh, the the Electronic Frontier Foundation is one hell of a good organization. Uh, if I do say so myself. And. Uh, I, rec I recommend strongly that you, that you join us and or uh, at least make yourself aware of the work that's getting done on a continuing basis because uh, we actually do have pretty good intelligence. Uh, it's, it's daunting because there is so much crap going on in the world uh, uh, that it's, it's kind of hard to just go to the EFF site and, and spend less than an hour without feeling a profound sense of dismay. Uh, and. But I, I still think that you can find things, to, find things to attach your advocacy to and find ways in which you can give that traction there uh, for a whole range of issues. And, and, and you could have found out about SOPA and PIPA a long time before they became household uh, phrases. So uh, I would recommend doing that. And, and there are also organizations like MoveOn, which I think are actually pretty powerful, becoming pretty powerful in their network advocacy. And if you're in business, I think it's really important that you're you're working with Josh's group because I mean that's a that's very powerful. Advocacy engine is a really great idea. Well, thank you. So I'll give the more traditional response. Uh, there's a continuum, and the continuum is sort of extends from run for office to just vote, yeah. and then in between you've got everything from calling your member of Congress and, and really talking to the staffers about uh, these issues that you've learned about and, and been educated about. And the interesting thing is you can actually call, explain your constituent, and uh, ask to talk to their legislative assistant who's working on that issue or their chief of staff. You'd be shocked how often you would get through. Visiting DC, same deal, uh, making sure you're meeting with your member of Congress there. A lot of them will do town halls when they're back in the district. It's a matter of staying aware. Make sure you sign up for their email uh, lists show up. That's where you've got some great one-on-one -on -one time. Talk about the issue you care about. Talk about why you care about that particular issue. Um, contribute to campaigns if you're inclined in that way. It's obviously very powerful, but the best way to do it is to contribute and explain to the staffer or the member why it is that you want to thank them for caring about the issue that you care about and why it's important to you. Um, but most importantly, and I know I keep harping on this, it's about getting educated. It's making sure that you personally understand the issue so that you can speak intelligently about it, whether it is to your, your policymaker or it is to your friends. Uh, because ultimately that's how we're going to spawn the really innovative campaigns that continue to uh, help us remain engaged. Um, it's how we're going to stay on top of the issues and it's also how we can let all these policymakers know that tech policy is very important. Um, it's very complicated, and it's really worth getting right. So uh, every one of us playing our role, again, in that continuum, as much as you're willing to, is, is really, really helpful. That's your question. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So I'm going to ask uh, one more question, and then I'm going to outsource my moderating duties to the audience. Um, so people, get ready. I see that there will be microphones ready. So the, the last question that I, I have for you guys is, is basically just, um, you know, as succinctly as possible, um, what do you think are kind of the key lessons out of you know what happened um, over the last few months in this particular fight that people can kind of take take away from that? I think we've already done a pretty good job of answering that question. How's <laughs> effort I, 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 No. It, it, <laughs> I guess I was trying to, to zero it down and kind of summarize Public engagement what works. Public yeah, engagement I, 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 works? I think that's probably the most important thing. That we, it is something we can do. It's something that a lot of, um, of embedded interests can't. Uh, and, and so that it, it's worth recognizing it. It's worth making sure members of Congress and, and state legislators know it. So can, it, I, can it, I push back on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Just okay, also, just one other thing. I mean, Congress is still in the physical world, devoutly. And, you know, they... they have this belief that you can have, and it's probably not completely groundless, that, that millions of people can sign a virtual petition and it doesn't mean a goddamn thing. On the other hand, for example, 
the two New York senators were very much in, in favor of PIPA until there was a rally hastily called in the street out in front of their office in New York. I spoke at that rally. It was I, I have never seen that many geeks out in broad daylight. In my life. <laughs> I mean, there were people that was like, "Watch the sun," <laughs> but but it mattered. It mattered a lot, and uh, they changed their position on it immediately. So the 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 point that I was going to push back on a little bit is, I mean, almost every issue out there, there's there's public advocacy on it. What made this different? That made it actually resonate and and actually have have an impact did yeah, i did was, i stomp it was really loud <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what i mean what got and it part to of that it point, was it was right? really loud and part of it was just it was a really stupid piece of legislation yeah and okay. and and so there there were so, those so, two so is it is it com- is it completely to the fact that that the other side screwed up Oh, no. I mean, how could you have anticipated that, that this much effort would be brought to bear? I mean, I guess it's part of my warning earlier. How often are you going to have all of these very large billboards come together on a particular day and, and work to shut down the Senate switchboards in both district offices and in, yeah. you know, in, in, in Washington, which is part of what Engine did? And um, that's hard to replicate, but the, the political outcry is something that we can certainly replicate and we should replicate. And it's about coming up with the right tools to make engagement really easy. All right, that works. All right, let's go to the audience. We're, we're, we got a hat over there. There's a microphone, so make sure you... Not the guy with the hat. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Hey, so how much of SOPA and PIPA do you think was actually, um, you know, the Google and the participatory sites? And also, like, how much of that battle is going to keep coming back as the content people keep trying to peel away at, um, you know, notice and takedown as the regime. A regime that I think has actually worked pretty well over the last 15 years, but that the content people hate because they have to, like, go through all these hoops to get you to take something down and, you know, YouTube and stuff like that. So how much is the battle really, like, grassroots and, and, you know, borrow all your friends in front of New York Senator's office, and how much is it, like, you know, Google and Facebook and billions of dollars on the other side? So I'm gonna I'm gonna build build some new buckets if you'll indulge me. I, I think that the Google and the Facebooks and and some of those folks getting involved are are about them. That engagement was really good in this fight. What was more important was what was going on behind the scenes. In order to have the movement, a lot of those co-sponsors drop off. The, the number of votes we saw change on the 18th. It required a lot of really hard work in the halls of Congress that had happened in the weeks preceding. EFF was a part of that. There were a, a number of really great organizations that were part of that. There were a lot of really great entrepreneurs, including Alexis from Reddit, um, who did those meetings and built uh, the base that made it understandable and okay to rally and, and get around that. And so Google um, and, and Facebook and some of these great technology companies were a part of that education process, um, but by no means were they the most significant part or the dominant part. Now, t- to your second Part of your question, which uh, uh, I'll, I'll turn the mic over to others who can speak to it even better, but the fight's not going away. I and mean, obviously the, the traditional content distribution uh, networks are, are still really important in a lot of ways. I think some of us would argue they're trying to save their businesses through legislation. Um, that's not going to stop, right? They have a lot of incentive to not see that stop. Uh, but again, it, it's, we better start winning on the facts. And, uh, and it's going to be a fight, but it's something that we can do and we should be willing to do it. I, I think it's important, you say winning on the facts, and I think it's actually really important for us to start to get real figures and demonstrate the, the, the ludicrousness, really, of some of the figures that the content industry regularly trots out as being gospel. I mean, they, you know, they talk about losses that are you know, triple the actual gross in, income of the industry. That's unlikely. <laughs> you know? Well, I know they've, they've, they're really good at special accounting. But. And I think what, what, one of the things, you, uh, you know, to your point about the, the current, you know, takedown regime, uh, I, I think one of the reasons why you saw a lot of uh, the big tech companies and also entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, uh, uh, venture, venture people uh, got involved is because, you know, all of us in the tech industry, you know, we're only, you know, four, five, six years removed from basically being two guys or two people in a dorm room or garage, right? Even the really big companies now can easily remember a time when there was a handful or less uh, 
in a room somewhere, and when any letter from a, a lawyer basically could be a threat to everything they've been working night and day for. So, uh, you know, that and, and, you know, everyone who's been involved has had to deal with the, the DMCA takedown notices uh, and, and their abuse and sort of the, the burden of those. And when you're, you know, I mean, Reddit's whatever, a top 50, top 100 site, and we've got 11 employees, uh, you know. And whatever, we, we, uh, you know, we make it work, but, but you know, adding any, you know, I, I, I think the reason you saw so many tech people fight really hard uh, against this, and, you know, we don't normally agree uh, as an industry on, on, on many things, um, was because, you know, we realized that, that this was a, a real threat. And even the current regime uh, is, you know, burdensome at best. All right. Uh, right up front. Oh, someone's already got the microphone. I'm sorry. You'll, you'll be next. <laughs> Hi, Lisa Rosenthal with Future of Music Coalition. We're actually based in D.C. and um, we've been really pleased to be able to work with you all uh, on this issue and certainly will continue to do so. One thing I just wanted to um, mention as well is among the millions of people that raised concerns and we just saw that huge groundswell, um, which was pretty remarkable. Another thing that policymakers need to keep in mind, in addition to the tech sector, are also the creators, and those are the musicians. Um, we at Future of Music had an opportunity to um, reach out to tens of thousands of arts and cultural representatives and fans through groups like MGMT, Trent Reznor, Amanda Palmer, Zoe Keaton, and other artists who did speak out against uh, Sopa Pipa. Uh, but this is what we do every day. So we encourage everyone in the room here and at SF Music Tech to speak to us as well. We're here, we're based in DC. We come out to San Francisco a lot. And um, we know that we can do a lot of work with our legislators in DC, in the halls, to hopefully prevent this, or even we could have probably prevented COICA as well, you know, if we were able to work together as a community and as a team earlier. So thank you. Yeah, so um, we'll, we have this, this question up front, and I'll just repeat that, that Future Music Coalition was, was very, very helpful in, in this fight. It was a big part of it as well. Hi, uh, I'm Tom Murphy. In this whole discussion, it seemed very Anakin Skywalker to me of either you're for piracy or against piracy by the content companies, and then there was your either for freedom of speech or you're not, and it became a very divisive argument that a lot of people rallied behind um, in this round on the tech community. But it's still about setting up lines and division and hyperbole on both sides, and my question is, a lot of people at this conference are people who create music, who embrace technology, and actually support both issues about how, how do you be a commercially viable media person and use technology. But the national debate was you got to pick one side or the other. Do you have any discussions about uh, Rodney King of this whole thing? And I, I think there's, at the risk of being glib, I think if, um, if that's the perception, then in some ways we failed. Because when you, you look at the halls of Congress, it was actually something that was pretty bipartisan. Um, and it was really interesting to engage both, for example, the property rights advocates and the free speech advocates and, and have them agree on a particular issue, which traditionally is not the case in some ways. But of course, not all of them did. And, and, um, and so you'd have uh, whatever we want to call it, the opposing side, the dark side, uh, certainly would, would use both that there's free speech that's being uh, that, that's that's you know can be infringed there's harm being done to children uh, so there's the protection of, of children question that sometimes came up um, uh, but but perhaps I'm going to in too much detail and not talking about the real issue which is it wasn't as divisive the, in reality. It, the problem is really, and I, if I didn't do anything else with my life, I'd get people to understand that everything is both and and not either or. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's usually difficult for Americans to accept paradox, but nevertheless, there it is. Uh, uh, yeah, or not. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, the... the the question, you know, as a songwriter, I, you know, I, I want to go on getting paid for the work that I've done, and more importantly, I want to be able to have some control over it. That's the real issue, uh, I think. Uh, and, I, and I think even though I, I love it when other people are, like, taking the song and spreading it out there, uh, I, I wouldn't want to see somebody making a lot of money off that that wasn't me. Uh, so I understand all that. 
But the problem, you know, one of the problems with cyberspace is that if you can, if you can censor anything in it, you can censor everything. That's the, that's the real issue. It's, it's like one continuous piece. And copyright is actually just a stocking horse for a lot of other things that people don't want. Uh, it just seems to be one that where, where they can get a fairly large percentage of, of the public to say, yeah, we don't want to steal from creators. <laughs> Since the record industry already has, I don't know why they worry about it. But, <laughs> uh, but they think that they are. And, you know, that's, that's the issue. But, I mean, we have to come up with a way of, of, of controlling the economics around, around creativity that actually leaves the money with the people who create it. Before I had my mental blackout, I think that's where I was, th th I wanted to raise that point as well. It, it, when we talk about SOPA and PIPA, it's, we're talking about a very specific piece of legislation that just did grievous harm to everybody. Um, but I think as a community, as a tech community, as folks who are um, spending some time on the Hill, we all agree that we need to re-examine um, how we think about copyright in the internet world. And um, that's certainly a discussion that needs to be had. But to some earlier points, it's a discussion we'd like to have proactively, not reactively. Yeah, and, and I think just to jump in, even in my role as moderator, like part of, part of what um, the reason why people like Future Music Coalition, who's on the musician side, and the reason why musicians like Trent Reznor and Amanda Palmer and all those folks got involved in this was because they don't see it as this kind of you know, debate that's like that. They see it as, you know, what's happening on the internet has been a benefit for them. It's, um, and so where they want things to go, and I'm gonna speak for them, which is a little risky, um, but you know, where they seem to want things to go is the fact that as more and more of these services develop, it's enabling all sorts of new ways for them to make money. And so, you know, the real solution, in my opinion, and what I've been saying for a while is, is you know, not having this, you know, this, is, this shouldn't be set up as a fight between, you know, Silicon Valley and Hollywood as, as many, you know, positioned it. But this is a situation where the two sides are really working together, they should be, because Silicon Valley and the sort of wider tech community continues to provide new tools and services that enable content creators to do more, to create more, to, and to, to promote and to distribute and to monetize. And so that's, you know, as long as they're working together proactively on the innovation and the tools to do all those things, then it shouldn't, shouldn't be a fight. So that's me jumping in. Sorry. We're going to go over to Bob. Okay. And the uh, first, first half of this question is directed to uh, Mr. Barlow, and that is, uh, you owe me 20 bucks. Am I ever going to see that? <laughs> <laughs> and then secondly, um, it <laughs> No, no. See it? <laughs> <laughs> Is uh, this argument pretty much doomed to failure, this whole conflict doomed to failure until, uh, until the word content is lost? Because, well, what's the container, for instance? This is art we're talking about. Art is spirit, a conveyance of spirit. So what is the container? Is the container the painting? Is the container the song? Or is the, is the container the piece of plastic that is put on or vinyl or whatever? If we can redefine the art down to its essence, the art, then, then you get into a, a question of, okay, well, whose property is the art? Is it the creator or is it, is it in some part the creators, mostly the creators, but is it, is it in some part, the gentle listener or the, the person who's receiving it, isn't that part of it too? Now then you go back to China uh, a few hundred years back, uh, you know, like several hundred years back, there was a, a collective of people who invented a clock. Now they had no copyright laws in China at the time, and so the people who had this clock, there were about a dozen of them, they, they could make clocks, but when those people all died, those clocks stopped being made because nobody knew how to make them. And these people kept it a secret because if they told other people how to make clocks, then everybody would be making clocks. Now, this is, this is a fact. So some way has to be provided to protect people who, who come up with, uh, I, I'm, 
I'm with you, I'm wearing two hats here. So some way has to be to provide people to make a living making art, otherwise musicians will have to go back to law school or, 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 or bagging groceries. And there won't be music because they won't be doing it. They won't be making it. So what I'm saying is if we look at this less as a commodity and more as something else. Now, a few years back, there is a model for this. A few years back, you know, somewhere toward the uh, beginning of the uh, 20th century, people stopped looking at how much money they had in the bank and started looking at a new term called cash flow. And is some sort of concept like this, I mean, this is something for, I think, everyone to pack under their pillows and, uh, and say, is there some other way of looking at this so that, so that we can take this entire argument out of the context that it's in now? That's all, you know, is all I have is a question. I'm not sure how, how it, it's, I guess, kind of, I don't know, philosophical, but uh, uh, I'm not sure how many answers we're going to get this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So Thank uh, you, Bob. I, I could have put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but really, you already came up with the answer to the question uh, in, your, in your working life. I mean, we made songs. Our records didn't sell for shit for a while because they weren't, they weren't all that great. Uh, they weren't as good as your performances in concerts. And, you know, those tapes were, were traded around freely. And pretty soon, you guys could fill any stadium in the country anytime you felt like it. I mean, mostly because you hauled your audience around with you. <laughs> but, but you could, which was cool. And uh, the thing was that you'd entered into a relationship with that audience. And that's what, it wasn't a matter of owning that stuff any more than you owned the audience, but you, there, was this, there was a relationship between you and the deadheads that was a service relationship, in essence. And, you know, there are all these lawyers out there defending copyright that don't copyright their briefs, I notice. I mean, you know, they actually charge their clients a service fee. And I don't know why that, they don't seem to think that's going to work for everybody else. I, did, I couldn't help but look at it. Industry, Larry. Uh, no, that, that I, I think I think the answer is there. We just have to we just have to get the property model out of the picture because it, it's not a good way to monetize something that can be infinitely duplicated at zero cost, and infinitely distributed at zero cost. I mean, when it was still encased in books and CDs and things like that, it made sense to look at it as a as a piece of property. It doesn't anymore. Well, artists. Art exists entirely within context. For instance, you yeah. look at a cave painting, and it, uh, it conveyed something that the people who were looking at it back then could understand and, and get something from. And in the case of the Grateful Dead, we were making music with people who understood what we, we were doing. The, the question of ownership there, it, it, it's kind of a mutual deal. If you're making art and nobody understands it, then it's, it's worthless. Once people start understanding it, how much ownership should they, should they be accorded? And uh, this argument that's going on now between uh, Silicon Valley and Hollywood doesn't take that into consideration. All right, so I, I'm getting multiple signals from multiple people that we're sort of out of time. I think that some of you guys can stick around for a little while at least, and we can maybe have some people talk up here. Quick pitch, engineadvocacy.org slash members. Sign up. EFF.org. Keep, keep going? So I'm, I'm actually right for Reddit. I, I think we can just, they can come up in four Yeah, all right. I mean, we're here. It's over, so that's all right. It's not too sure. If anything, they'll just come over here and tell you how. I changed the input of that.